Our reading today is out of Matthew. It is chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. And unlike the last two times I've had to read out of Matthew, this is a short one. Okay, so if you'd like to follow along, it will be up on the screens, or you can grab a Bible from the back as our gift to you, or if you've just, you know, got a Bible app in your phone or whatever. So, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Has anyone ever called you a hypocrite? (laughs) I'm called a hypocrite regularly (laughs) by my (laughs) 11-year-old. She is really smart and really observant, and she very easily picks up on inconsistency. Mom, you said it's not good to eat sweets after dinner, but you're eating a candy bar. Mom, you said too much screen time isn't good for our brains, but you're on your phone all the time. You're a hypocrite. I gotta be honest, the first time my child called me a hypocrite, my reaction was like to justify myself. Okay, first I wanted to ground her for a month, and then I wanted to justify myself. No, I'm not a hypocrite, and here's why. The rules that apply to you don't apply to me. Your body is still growing. Your brain is still developing. Whatever could you know, justify me and forcing rules for her that I don't follow myself. But eventually, I've started just to say to her, you're right. I am a hypocrite. That's why I need Jesus. Uh, That usually elicits eye rolls and an exit. (laughs) But at least she's off my case. (laughs) No one wants to be called a hypocrite. It doesn't feel good. Hypocrite is an interesting word. And we're going to talk about where that word comes from, what it means. But I'm bringing up this word because today's passage contains the only time in the Gospels that Jesus used the word hypocrite to refer to his followers. The word hypocrite is only spoken by Jesus in the Bible, only in the four Gospels. Nobody else uses the word. Jesus uses this word hypocrite primarily when he's talking to the super religious people of his day, people who seem to be obeying God but apparently had a different motivation. People who looked good on the outside, but had ugly hearts. But here in Matthew 7, Jesus uses this word while he's speaking to his disciples, his followers, the people that wanted the kingdom of God that he's been talking about. These past few weeks, we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon a collection of the things that Jesus taught his disciples while he was on earth. We've said now, we've been, if you're just joining us today, we've been in a study through the book of Matthew. This whole year, we're working our way through the book of Matthew. 
And we've said that Matthew was written to be a discipleship manual. So to teach the early church how to be a disciple of Jesus. And we said that a disciple, right, is somebody who's following Jesus, someone who's being changed by Jesus, and someone who's committed to the mission of Jesus. That's a disciple, someone who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. So in this book of the Bible that is intended to tell people how to be disciples of Jesus, we should pay attention to the one time Jesus used the word hypocrite to describe a tendency he knew his followers would have. So let's talk about hypocrite, what it means now, what it meant in Jesus' day, right? Nowadays, we use the word hypocrite to mean somebody who says one thing but does something else. So a pastor who preaches on sexual purity but then cheats on his wife, hypocrite. The founder maybe of a nonprofit who's constantly talking about the importance of honoring the dignity of people in need but then is captured maybe on video being rude to someone who's homeless. But that's not what the word originally meant, right? Hypocrite was originally used to describe an actor on a stage. In the ancient world, actors wore masks like this one on stage. These masks would obscure their real voice and cause it to sound different. So if someone was a gifted actor, hypocrite was a compliment. It meant that they had done a tremendous job obscuring their true identity and making us believe they were someone else. So the word hypocrite meant largely to say that somebody was pretending for the sake of a claim, hiding their face under a mask in order to get a positive judgment from the audience regarding their skills. And that's actually what the two words that make up the word hypocrite mean. Hupo, under, and krites, judge. Under, judge. So someone's hiding their face under a mask and pretending to be something else in order to receive a positive judgment. A hypocrite is a pretender. This is actually the same uh, root word that's used in Luke 20.20 about people who are asking questions of Jesus to test him. It says, keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere. That word pretend is the same word, hypocrite. A hypocrite is a pretender. Great. Thank you for this word study, Katie. What does this have to do with the passage we just read about judging others? Okay. This passage is all about pretending. Pretending. Uh, No, Katie, it's about judging others. It says it in the little heading in my Bible. Sure, sure. Just so you know, those headings were not written by the original authors of Scripture. Those headings were put in by the translators and the editors of whichever version of the Bible you happen to be holding this morning. But Jesus here is pointing out that judging other people requires pretending. We have to pretend we are qualified to make a judgment about someone else. We have to assume the role, pretend, the role of a judge to make a judgment, which Jesus is saying is really God's job. So we're pretending to be God when we judge other people. And not only that, but if we do decide to judge other people, it's certainly going to require us to pretend that we have less sin than we do, that we are in a solid position ourselves to make any kind of judgment about other people. And if we've been paying attention to the Sermon on the Mount, we're probably all feeling convicted about the ways that we fall short. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about the way life is supposed to work in God's kingdom. 
He says that the things we value in this world are upside down in the kingdom of God. We should be praising the poor, the meek, the merciful, those who are persecuted. He says we're to be salt and light, distributing God's light and flavor everywhere we go. He says that we're supposed to run after the spirit of the law as God's people. So instead of only like not actually murdering anybody, God's people don't even think angry thoughts about other people. Instead of just avoiding sex outside of marriage, God's people don't even let their minds wander to inappropriate places about other people. He says God's people don't make oaths. We just say what we mean and do what we say. He says we surrender the right to retribution. We don't try and get even. We give and pray and fast in secret so that we don't try and get acclaim for our good deeds. He says God's people don't need to worry about anything and that we can just give away our stuff and trust God to take care of us. And then we get to chapter 7. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And in the measure you use, it will be measured to you. At this point in the Sermon on the Mount, to set ourselves up to judge anyone else requires an enormous lack of self-awareness, an enormous amount of pretending. See, this word judge isn't just a casual, oh, like, maybe you don't do that, it's not really good for you. Judge is a strong word. To judge means to condemn, to find fault, to pronounce judgment, to assume the office of judge. To judge another person means to assume a divine prerogative, to set yourself up as God. Oh, well, Katie, that's not what I'm doing when I notice someone else's sin. I just want the best for them. I'm not condemning them. I'm not finding fault. I just care about them. And to that, Jesus says, are you sure? Are you sure? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus uses this strong word, hypocrite, because he wants us to try and be really aware of our motivation when we call out someone else's sin. This is the one time Jesus uses that word hypocrite to talk about potential danger for his disciples because he sees this as a serious problem for his people. He knows, he knows, he knows that as his people try to do what he says, try to live out life in God's kingdom, there will be a huge temptation to look at other people to make us feel better about ourselves, to compare our sin to someone else's sin, to want to look better than other people. As silly as it is, Jesus knows we will be tempted to make a competition out of participation in God's kingdom. And all this happens by pretending. Pretending that we are living more like Jesus than maybe we really are. Pretending we're more holy than someone else. Maybe pretending we don't care what other people think of us. 
maybe pretending to be kind and compassionate in front of other people so that they'll think more highly of us. Maybe pretending to point someone's sin out out of love when really it's just making us feel better. Jesus knows we will be tempted to pretend in all of these ways. And he doesn't want that for us. Jesus is saying, listen, when you approach someone else about their sin, of course you're going to say it's because you care about them. Of course you know you're not better than them. Of course you're only pointing out their sin out of love. But Jesus is saying, you need to take some time to do some self-reflection to make really sure that's true. That that's the real reason you're approaching someone else about their shortcomings. Jesus is warning us of the danger of pretending in the way we deal with other people's sin. Because sometimes we, I, we don't approach people out of their, about their sin out of an actual concern for them. Jesus wants to make us aware that we might be pretending to care about another person when our actual motivation is something else. Sometimes we talk about other people's sin because we want to deflect attention from ourselves. Last Sunday, we talked about our relationship with stuff. And I talked to many of you who are all struggling with that. And I told you all, me too. And when we're faced with something we're struggling with, who wants to actually deal with it? Wouldn't it just be easier to deflect and talk about someone else's sin? Well, yeah, I'm struggling with being too attached to my stuff. But my goodness, you should see my neighbor's house. (laughs) Or, yeah, I struggle to help my kids not be so materialistic, but... Oh my gosh, you should see their friends. They have every pair of new shoes, every new device, all the cool clothing brands. Those families are really materialistic. Sometimes we talk about other people's sin because we really do think we're better than them. That's ugly, but it's true. We compare ourselves to someone else and feel pride that we don't struggle with a particular issue the way they do. So we bring up their sin as a way of boosting our own ego. I cannot tell you how many times I've sat in a Bible study where we talk about obedience to Christ and the conversation turns to a sin that nobody in the room struggles with. Oh gosh, those people who live together before they're married. How can we talk to them about their sin? How can we do that? And then those conversations with those people we supposedly love and care about don't actually ever happen because the motivation wasn't care and concern for other people. It was to make us feel morally superior because we don't struggle like those people do. So Jesus is saying, before you even consider talking with someone else about their sin, look inward. Check your motivation. Why are you actually pointing out someone's struggle? Do you actually care about them? Is this actually a problem? Is it actually causing them harm? Are you willing to walk alongside them and help them get free from whatever's holding them captive? Are you just trying to feel better about yourself? Are you just maybe being overly critical of another person? And additionally, before you even consider going to somebody else about their sin, are you clear on yours? Have you seen your own need for mercy and forgiveness? Are you aware of your areas of struggle, the things you've tried to get past but still wrestle with? Jesus says, take the log from your own eye first. The log. We tend to make a bigger deal out of other people's sin and justify our own. And Jesus warns us that we had better do some self-reflection on our own struggles before we point out someone else's. We better make sure we're not blind to our own shortcomings while we're busy pointing out someone else's. 
Jesus wants his people to recognize that approaching people about sin with the wrong motivation or with a lack of humility about our own sin is much more likely to do damage than be hopeful. An overly critical attitude sets up a cycle of criticism, right? Do not judge or you will be judged. The measure with which you judge, it will be measured back to you. What Jesus is saying is that if you're critical all the time of someone, like a coworker, it's pretty likely that they're going to just reciprocate and be critical right back to you. If you point out every mistake your child makes, it's likely they will continue that cycle of criticism either with you or with someone else. Jesus is pointing out that judging other people is a surefire way to harm the community of God's people. When we forget that we all stand on equal ground at the foot of the cross, we can very quickly bring disunity into the body of Christ. When we start making hierarchies of sin and saying that some sins are maybe worse than others, this breaks the equality, the interdependence of the community that God intends for us. Jesus uses family language. Your brothers, I. Your sibling. He wants us to remember that we are all siblings in the family of God. We are all God's children. So Jesus says, before you talk to someone else about their sin, do some self-reflection on your own motivation, on your own struggles. And then Jesus goes on to say that we need to pay attention to what will actually be helpful to the other person. That's what he's talking about with the dogs and the pigs. Let's read that verse. Verse 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. What this means is if you're considering talking to somebody about their struggle, pay attention to where the other person's at. Are they in a place where they're ready to receive what you have to say? Have you demonstrated or have they demonstrated that they respect your opinion and are open to your honest feedback in their lives? Because even if your motivations are pure, even if you're humble because you're clear on your need for forgiveness and grace, if the other person's not open to hearing, your words aren't going to help. In fact, they're likely to do a lot of damage to the relationship. Right? If you're married, you've probably started to learn what good and bad times are to talk to your spouse about something. If someone's hungry, if someone's tired, if someone just got home from work, it's probably not a good time to bring up a question or a problem you've been having with them, right? If you do that, you're liable to experience the truth of this verse. That helpful suggestion you have will probably be trampled underfoot and you will likely feel like you've been torn to pieces. It's not a good time. Also, some people just don't want to hear it. Maybe you don't have a close enough relationship with someone that they feel safe hearing something like this from you. Maybe they're just not self-aware enough to hear a word of caution. Maybe they're too caught up in their struggle to be able to receive words of love from a friend. Jesus is saying, you know what? Pick your time. Choose your battles. Choose a wise time. Even if your motivations are pure, even if your attitude is humble and loving. This is what the book of Proverbs talks about, right? Proverbs says, whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they'll hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. There might be people in your life that even though you are humble, even though you genuinely are approaching them out of love, they just won't be able to hear what you have to say. And Jesus is saying, be wise. Be wise about how you go to someone. 
So to be clear, this passage is certainly not saying that we should never approach somebody else about an area of sin or struggle we see them walking through. There are countless verses in the Bible that talk about the gift of loving correction from a friend. Proverbs 25.12 says, Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is the rebuke of a wise judge to a listening ear. Paul in Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So clearly, we need each other. There have been a few moments in my life where loving words spoken from a friend kept me from going down a path that would have hurt me. I'm so grateful to friends who've loved me enough to speak up when I needed to hear it. Jesus is not prohibiting the loving words of a friend when we see someone going down a harmful path for them. Jesus is instead saying that in the kingdom of God, we don't sit around looking for each other's faults. We don't judge each other. We don't condemn each other. In the kingdom of God, we keep our eyes on the love and the grace and the mercy and the unlimited forgiveness that God has extended to us. And then we strive to pour that outward to others. That's what Jesus is saying. So if you feel you need to approach someone you love about something they're struggling with, get your heart right first. Examine your motives. Be clear on your sin. Be clear on your need for help and forgiveness. And then choose your time wisely. Uh, Like many of you probably, I've been like reading a lot of stories about Matthew Perry this past week. And a lot of what comes up uh, as people celebrate his life is his openness about his struggles with addiction. Lots of stories about the people in his life that walked alongside him in his times of struggles. And one of the most beautiful stories I read uh, was about a conversation between him and Jennifer Aniston on the set of Friends when they were working together. He talked about how grateful he was for her because everyone could see that he was struggling. But she came to him. She spoke up. She didn't beat around the bush. She said what was true. Matt, we all know you're drinking. We can smell it. He said she said it in a way that was weird but loving. He felt loved by the way she approached him. In their conversation, she didn't condemn him. She didn't pretend she was better than him or even that she knew what to do to solve it. She called him in to health and healing and hope. And he said he'd always be grateful for for her doing that. Jesus isn't saying that we shouldn't care for each other and love each other enough to speak up. Jesus is saying that when we approach someone else about their sin, we need to make sure that we are ready to speak and that they are ready to listen. If we sense that we need to approach someone else about what they're struggling with, we need to make sure we're ready to speak and they're ready to listen. Are we ready to speak? Have we examined deeply our motivations, our attitude? Are we speaking out of a place of love and grace and mercy that reflects God's love for us? And are they ready to listen? Are we even approaching them in a way and in a place that they might feel most comfortable to hear what we have to say? So as you think about this, as you consider this passage, is there anything in your life that's coming to mind, a situation, a relationship? Is there any judgmental attitude in your heart that God wants to free you from? 
Is there a way you've been overly critical of someone else in your life? Maybe this morning the Spirit is prompting you to ask forgiveness about your critical attitude. Maybe if your critical attitude has damaged a relationship, you need to ask forgiveness of that other person. Is Jesus maybe bringing to mind a way that you pretend about your sin to feel better about yourself? Do you struggle to be honest about your need for grace and forgiveness? Maybe this morning Jesus is inviting you to be fully honest about your brokenness, about your sin, so that you can fully receive his love and grace. Or maybe there is someone in your life that needs the loving words of a friend to keep them from a harmful path, and God's nudging you about the right way to approach them. Over these next few minutes, listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. The Holy Spirit's voice, by the way, is not critical either. The Holy Spirit's voice, when when the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, it's truth and love. So listen to what God is saying to you about this today. And then when you're ready... Come forward and receive communion. This is Jesus' table, and he gives grace freely to all without finding fault. He freely gave his life to forgive the worst of our sins, and he freely offers grace and mercy to each of us. As we receive the bread and the juice, these reminders of his body and blood that were broken and shed for us, let us receive his unlimited grace and then extend that out to each other. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning we are humbled. (laughs) Anytime we have a chance to get a good look at our hearts and see ugliness there, it is sobering and it is humbling. And we know that you are waiting with arms open wide to forgive us, to clean up our motivations, to scrape away all that's ugly in our hearts and make us new. That's the hope we have. That's what happened when you got up out of the grave on Sunday. Sin didn't win. Judgment didn't win. Love won. Mercy won. Justice won. So this morning, God, will you speak to each of us just what we need to hear? And will we hear your voice free of, free of shame and, and condemnation? Just hear your voice of loving truth calling us in to receive healing and wholeness from you. In Jesus' name, amen.